Truth is a concept many today would do away with, at least until the idea of truth serves their agenda. As Winston Churchill famously said, Men stumble over the truth from time to time, but most pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. The reality is that many of us only pay attention to the truth when it benefits us, or when it fits our preconceived notions. No one likes to admit that they were wrong. And yet as Christians, that should never be true of us. We should be people who are quick to repent and quick to admit when we were wrong. Still, the idea of truth and real truth, that is, truth that is true at all times and in all places, has fallen on hard times. There are several different names we use to describe this movement, whether it's the idea of being postmodern, which hold that all truth claims are based in societal and group identities, or the term relativism, that truth is relative to the individual. People do not like the idea of truth that is truly true, for if it exists, then we are all accountable to know it and to be judged according to it. And that is at the heart of all unbelief in God. We don't want to be told what to do, and we want to be our own gods. And yet we are not infinite, and we are not eternal. We are very limited, and we will all die. And so our day is littered with sorry excuses and sayings that dismiss truth in any meaningful way. Because if there is no God, well, then truth is really just up to me. And so you need to determine your own truth. You need to look further and further within until you find it. You do you and all that nonsense. And so making truth come from the self ultimately limits it to the self or the culture. It cannot go beyond you and your own little eternal kingdom found within your little heart. Except, of course, if someone wrongs you, then all of a sudden relativism is thrown out the window. If someone today, for example, perceives some societal injustice, all of a sudden truth has entered the equation and everyone must bend the knee to my hurt feelings, to my truth. For the question, my experience, is to commit a sin worse than blasphemy. Off with your head. We'll dig up some 10-year-old social media posts and find someone to crucify into exile from polite society. If this is not enough to make your head spin... The reality that many relativists often become the most dogmatic fundamentalists who exile people with such ruthlessness that they'd make the Puritans blush, then I don't know what will. How do we get here, though? What has led to this? And how do we as Christians live in a world that is actually filled with truth? And we know that it is. This is why we're here in Genesis. The passage we read today may seem like an odd one for our message this morning, but it establishes something crucial for us that undergirds everything in Genesis 1-3 through and morally throughout all of Scripture and all of reality. And that is, truth and reality really do exist. Look at the opening verse of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. God finished creating, not just the universe, but reality. What is actually there. He made it. It is an objective thing that has existence outside of your mind in my mind. It is distinct from God too. It is not just an emanation of his mind. It's not an illusion, but it really does exist. It's dependent upon him for its existence, but it really does exist outside of God. And we live and breathe and have our being in that universe today. And what we see in this verse and throughout all of life is that truth is an undeniable reality and any attempt to say otherwise leads to the patent absurdities that we are living in today. So how did we get here? I cannot stress this enough. Beginnings matter. 
where you believe we came from will make an invariable impact on where you think we're going and what truth is. You cannot explain truth or being able to know it or the universal human experience if everything came from some random big explosion and we are all just the byproducts of random blind processes in millions and millions and millions of years. If naturalism and evolution are true, then there is no such thing as a human will, free or not. There is no such thing as a human consciousness. And I will give you some quotes to back this up. John Horgan of the New York Times reports that most neuroscientists today reject free will. I'm getting most of these quotes from the work of Nancy Piercy uh, in Finding Truth. Similarly, John Searle says the philosophy, or from the philosophy department of USC, Berkeley, said this, We can say, okay, I believe in determinism. Determinism is biological determinism, that you have no will, no freedom. You are a machine, a biological machine. Or as Cambridge psychologist Nicholas Humphrey put it, our starting assumption as scientists ought to be that on some level, consciousness has to be an illusion. The reason is obvious. If nothing in the physical world can have the features that consciousness seems to have, then consciousness cannot exist. End quote. Since the physical world lacks consciousness, as I put it, it is impersonal. And so therefore, you cannot have personal consciousness. Never mind the fact that we all appear to be conscious. To be really, truly scientific, you must ignore that. And that entirely is the point. Reality and truth in this worldview are at war with these worldviews. Professor Edward Slingerland puts puts it this way. We are robots designed to believe that we are not robots. We are robots designed to not think that we are, guys. Where did this design come from? Better not think about that one too quickly. These are the logical conclusions of believing that the world came from some random Big Bang and mindlessly evolved to what it is today. We get the insanity that there is no free will, there is therefore no love, there is no consciousness, because we are all programmed to believe otherwise. We are tricked into thinking otherwise, but these things don't actually exist. To revisit Searle, who denies free will, he writes this, We can't give up, though. We can't give up our conviction of our own freedom even though there's no ground for it. Why? Because if it's true, we couldn't live with it. Again, Horgan. No matter what my intellect decides, I'm compelled to believe in free will. They say, science tells us, naturalism tells us, evolution tells us, there is no freedom, there is no consciousness, there is no free will, but I can't live that way. We can't live that way. Here's a thought for you. If you can't live live according to your worldview, and no one else can, and it denies the universal human experience, then perhaps your worldview is just stupid and wrong. And all of this leads invariable to the denial of knowing truth and being able to know reality. You see in The New Scientist, Donald Hoffman talks about a new study which demonstrates that evolution works in such a way that our senses, as they evolved, only tell us the things that we need to survive, that it leaves stuff out. And that means that your senses, that which we do through empirical studies and science, don't necessarily give us an accurate picture of reality. The conclusion of the study is this. It leads to a crazy-sounding conclusion that we are all gripped by a collective delusion about the nature of the world. Guys, we're stuck in the matrix. This is all a mass delusion. 
Again, if naturalism, if Darwinism are correct, there is no reason for any of us to be able to know anything at all, including that evolution is correct. These studies undermine and defeat themselves. They are self-refuting. This, ladies and gentlemen, these are your leaders. These are our self-fancied elites, the highly educated ones, the ones handing down edicts from on high, who can't live according to their own conclusions, who can't admit that humans have consciousness, and they believe that this is all a mass delusion. Do not hear me on this. Do not ever let anyone ever treat you as if and tell you that Christianity is an intellectually inferior worldview. This stuff they believe is insane. Give me a farmer in middle America who only has a high school diploma from a couple generations ago, any day of the week, who works the ground, knows the ground exists there, and doesn't have to spend much time thinking about, you know, the world actually really does exist. Give me him any day of the week. Never buy into the outright lie that Christianity can't explain the world or is simple or is inferior intellectually. These worldviews, these contrary worldviews, lead to patent absurdities that undermine their own beliefs. So how do we respond? Let me give you a, a bit of a review of key beliefs and teachings of Christianity that establish a foundation, the necessary foundation for truth existing, and for you and me to be able to know it. So that we know that we don't live in the mass delusion, we don't live in the matrix, and that we can actually know things truly. First, God created ex nihilo. God created out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where we began in the series, and we keep coming back to it. In the beginning, there was nothing but God. When the triune God decided to create, he did so using his own innate power. He used nothing besides himself. Out of nothing came everything by the word of his command. That is a power you and I cannot fully comprehend. But God created, and we see here in chapter 2, that he ends that initial act of creation, and he rests on the seventh day. And there sat, on the seventh day, two natures of reality. God and everything else. The creator and his creation. And that distinction is still maintained today. And it means that you and I are not just an emanation or a thought of God that only exists in his head. We have real existence. It also means that we are not a part of some mass delusion. This is not an illusion. This is not the matrix. Reality is objective. It is real. It is noble. God rested and his creation was there, is there, and it was very good. And though there is a distinction between God and between his creation, creation is not independent from him. God still actively upholds it. He still actively guides it and directs his creation. Moment by moment, he sustains the existence of every molecule and atom in this entire universe. That is the measure of his power, of his knowledge, of his care. And so we have reason to believe that the universe exists and that it isn't just a dream. It should be obvious, but let's, let's acknowledge that the Bible puts it there for us to see. Second, the Bible establishes that humans are made in God's image. Not only does reality exist, but you and I are unique in all of creation. If you and I are just highly evolved apes, then why should we trust our senses any more than that of the senses of an ape? Evolution, as they said, could be and probably is lying to us. 
only telling us what we need to reproduce and not what is actually there. And so, scientists are willing to admit that there is no reason we, be we should believe that we have truth, including their truth. If this is the case, then humans cannot rightly know things. But, God made a man in his image, and that means that we can know things. For God is the source and fountain of all truth, and you and I are made to be like him. We are not him, but we are like him. And this is an implied reality throughout Scripture, especially in these opening chapters. God speaks to Adam, he gives him a command. Why would God speak to Adam if Adam could not know what that command was? If he could not truly know what he was saying? God does not waste time speaking. He speaks to be understood. And so God sets Adam in an objective place in the garden, and he tells him to work it and to keep it. He's to bring out from the soil that which is already there, to enhance it. And Adam knew there was ground there. He touched it. He worked it. He walked upon it. And he experienced the goodness of an objective creation. God then parades the animals before Adam for him to assign names to them. That's part of his job as he rules over creation under God's authority. You can't name things that are just a delusion. How can you name an animal rule over it if there's no objective truth? It's all just nonsense. It doesn't work. And so God gives knowledge and assigns work in his objective universe, all built upon the assumption that universal, objective truth, exists and can be known by humans. For God himself is the foundation of that truth. So third, what is the Christian view of truth? Francis Schaeffer stressed the need for Christians to not just say the word truth, knowing that people would use that to mean anything they want, including personal truth. But he said, or coined the term, true truth. That is, we can use that to talk about absolute or universal truth. We need to be careful that when we talk about truth in today's world, that people understand that we are not talking about relativistic, personalized truth. We dare not sound just like those who do not know God. Let me give you a, a bad example from a Christian movie, God is Not Dead. The official song for that movie is from the Newsboys, and the chorus says this, God is not dead, he's surely alive. True enough, it's a true statement. How, though, do they justify it? They go on. He is living on the inside, roaring like a lion. How is that any different than claiming to live according to your own inside, internal, discovered self-truth? It is true, it is wonderfully true, that God dwells within his people. But God is external to us. He exists just as the sun exists. Whether or not he's roaring on the inside or not, God is there. Whether we feel like it or not, whether we believe in him or not, he is there. And so we, we talk in such a way as we sound like our unbelieving neighbors. So let's define a little bit about the characteristics of truth, biblically speaking. What is truth? First, truth is absolute and universal. Whatever is true is universally true. It is true for all people at all times. Now, admittedly, sometimes we make claims in a sloppy fashion that leads to word games that sounds like something isn't universally true. For example, I can say, this product works. 
And you can reply, well, it didn't work for me, so that's just your truth. But if I'm speaking precisely, what I would actually saying is this product worked for me on this date in this way. And the fact that that product did that on that date in this way is either universally true or universally false. In the same way, all truth claims, when phrased precisely and correctly, are either universally true or not. There are no areas of life where truth is not, or where there are not areas of life where truth is absolute for some things, and other areas where it's not. For example, we often say truth is absolute in science, but not in religion. There it's preference. The God of Scripture is either really there or not, and our beliefs about it don't make it more true or less true. Second, truth is exclusive. And by that, I mean anything contrary to what is true is not true. It's false. If 2 plus 2 equals 4, then that means that the claim that 2 plus 2 equals 6 is not true. Right? Math is not a form of white supremacy. It is not oppression. If the Christian God is the true God, then it is wrong to say that all religions worship the same God. The Christian God, for example, is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Islam and Judaism reject the Trinity. One of these views is right and one of them is not. It's a logical impossibility for God to both be the Trinity and not be the Trinity. Third, truth corresponds with reality. Truth corresponds with what is there. If I were to say that I'm a 5 foot 10, 300 pound woman, I would be lying to you because that is not who I really am. Truth is not, or truth is just another word for what is really there. And this means to lie, in some sense, is to pretend that you are God. It is to try to develop and to make your own reality, a rival reality, to put in contest with God. To put it another way, to believe a lie is to lose touch with what is really there, with reality. That is the definition of insanity. You don't know what is real and true anymore. That is the world you are living in today. Moreover, your lies cannot change what is truly there. Your lies do not shape reality. Schaefer again quipped this, No matter a man's system, he still lives in God's world. You can believe whatever you want. You can believe that wall isn't there, but as you run at it, you're going to run into it, whether you believe in it or not. You are stuck in God's world. Fourth, truth is knowable. We can know it rightly, though as limited humans and sinful humans, we cannot know it exhaustively. There is a fake humility out there that claims certainty is prideful, certainty is arrogant, and that humility is rooted in being uncertain. And yet these people are very certain in their uncertainty. Fancy that. To say God cannot reveal truth to us accurately and that you know better than everyone else and to say that none of them who came before you really knew anything at all is the very definition of arrogance. God made man to know him. God made man to know others. God made man to know creation, to know pain, to know love, joy, and so much more. This is part of what it means to be human. But because of sin and because of our limitations as finite creatures, our knowledge is sometimes tainted and always incomplete. Humility accepts the truth of God while doubting yourself. Knowing that I can always know things better and that I am not the determiner of what is true. Fifth, truth is not neutral. 
There are no neutral spaces in this universe. All of it belongs to God. You cannot set God aside and try to be neutral in your pursuit of truth in this world. For that attacks reality itself. We read in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. To make any sense of anything in this world, you must start with God. And that is exactly where Western thought, where Western philosophy has landed today. You either get the absurdity and destruction that rules so much of our society today, or you turn to God. Knowledge starts with Him. We've tried again and again to build foundations for truth, justice, and knowledge and love without God, and all we get is meaningless absurdities. To feign neutrality in the face of the truth is to ignore God. It is to be hostile to Him. It is not to be neutral. Let's, let's apply this. What do we take from this? Well, first, conform your life to the truth. One of the great lies of our day is that we can determine what is true. And that is a dastardly lie. Is that our feelings determine what is true. On the most basic level, we need to recognize that our feelings are often wrong and do not determine what is true. Now, your feelings are not, are not inherently bad, but they do not determine what is true. Your feelings, especially in our days, are fickle, and you need to learn to teach them to conform to the truth, not to try to conform the truth to your feelings. One of the saddest things you will see is people who are ruled over by the hard slave master that is uncontrolled emotions. They make terrible masters. Rather, teach your emotions and your feelings to serve you. Contrary to this, you and I are called to rule our emotions, to control them, and to align them with what is true by renewing your minds with the truth of God's word and measuring your emotions by that standard. Second, pursue truth, for it really does exist. Christians of all people should seek it out. We should desire truth. We should always be looking for it, because that truth reflects the glory of our God. And since we believe in truth, since we know it is important, since we know that it is embodied in the person of Christ, we are to always pursue it, always seeking to know it more, to know it better, and to live more faithfully according to it. And so you and I, we will debate, we will research, we will fight for, we will defend the truth, and we would even be willing to die for something that is true. We must never become relativists. There must be no hint of that in our lives. Of course, some truths are more important than other truths. Christ's work is more important than getting my shoe size correct. But all truth is important, for all of it reflects our God. And even just believing that will get you in trouble in evangelical circles today. Third, live by the truth. You should be known as a truthful person. A person who speaks truth. And who tries to consistently live that out. You should own your own failures and your sins when they happen. The fact that we believe that truth is real, it is objective and universal and knowable, should inform how you live every day. One sad things I see in Christian ministry again and again is a lack of forthright and truthful speech. We double speak. We use empty words. They rule the day. We get a catchphrase that goes over again and again and again. That means nothing. Pragmatism runs rampant. And no matter how much we say that truth exists is important, our actions reveal something very, very different. 
So speak truth, do it with respect, but do it with clarity and straightforwardness. That'll get you in trouble within nice Christian circles today. Finally, I think one of the most basic applications is freedom. As much as this might seem counterintuitive to you, there being universal and revealed truth is freeing. For you don't have to find your own truth. You do not need to determine who you are. You do not need to follow your own heart. You do not need to construct your own reality. And you do not need to determine what is ultimate truth. Those burdens were never meant for creatures like you and me to bear. One reason we are so anxious and depressed and dominated by that anxiety is that we have never, never put so much pressure on us to build our own realities, to fill the spot of God. There is true freedom found in submitting to Him, submitting to His truth, and then conforming your life to it. To live as you were made to be a creature made in God's image and in relationship with Him. It comes from knowing personally through repentance and faith the personal embodiment of truth, Jesus Christ. It is His death, His resurrection, and His return that is our hope. Let's pray.